Welcome to episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101, the foundations of our Catholic faith. These episodes originally premiered on YouTube. You can find the original video linked in the description to this episode, as well as a discussion guide for your benefit and whoever you might be listening with. A friendly reminder and invitation to please, if you have not yet done so, please rate and review this podcast. It helps other people find it. It's such a great way to get this podcast out there and for you to share it with others. But remember, the highest compliment you could pay this podcast and myself is to share this episode or any episode on social media. And you can do that by simply posting it on your story or tagging us in a post. At Mana Food for Thought is our Instagram handle. At Mana F4T is our Twitter and our Facebook page is just Mana Food for Thought. You can find all of that on our website, manafoodforthought.com, as well as all of our previous content. And if you'd like to become a financial sponsor for as little as $1 a month, you can do that by clicking on the Patreon tab on our website. If you have not yet done so, I really want to invite you to check out our friends at Thrive Coffee. It's Coffee with a Mission. Their website is drinkthrive.org, and they are a nonprofit craft coffee roaster in Richmond, Virginia. They use coffee to create careers and training opportunities for individuals with disabilities. Uh, they ship nationwide. Their beans are locally roasted in small batches. They make blends, and three bags sold pays for one hour of work for their differently abled employees. So go to drinkthrive.org, buy a few bags, and if you use promo code MANA, M-A-N-N-A, at checkout, you will get 15% off your first order. With that being said, enjoy the next installment in episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101. Enjoy. My favorite superhero as a kid was Spider-Man. I loved his kind of playful wit and the sarcasm that the writers gave him being a high school student. And at this point, you may be sick of them, but I love superhero movies, even the bad ones, because they connect to something in me, and I think something in all of us. Every time I see a superhero movie, I leave the theater feeling like I could go fight crime and save the world. There's this desire that we have for a deeper identity, or a sense of new power, new purpose, or completely new way of life that these movies and stories connect to. And this whole time, you know, where we began with these 101 episodes was talking about our desire, our longing for deeper meaning or purpose. And in a sense, we also have this longing for a fresh start to begin again. Now, God, he made us for himself. And when Jesus came, he knew that and he commissioned the apostles to go and do something that would fulfill that longing that we have for more and ultimately for God. Jesus says, at the end of Matthew in chapter 28, as we've mentioned before, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. Baptism. You may not remember yours or maybe have not even been baptized yet. So the significance of how powerful this event is may be lost on us, but this is Christ's final command, the final mission, to wait for the Spirit, and then, once we have the Spirit, go out and baptize. That means that the mission of the church remains to be this. To this day, the mission of the church is to make disciples, and what does that begin with? The sacrament of baptism. Baptism is the first sacrament of initiation, and generally the first of the seven sacraments that a person receives. Baptism comes from the Greek word baptizian, 
which means to plunge or immerse or even bathe in water. And there's a Hebrew word that's a synonym for this, and the word is Moshe. And that's where the name Moses comes from, because he was drawn out of water in the river Nile, and he was saved from death. We see in the very meaning of the word, there is the purpose of baptism. There is a sense of dying and rising again, being saved through immersion, through death in water, and coming out born anew. And we see this in scripture in Romans chapter 6. We were indeed buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might live in newness of life. And again in Colossians chapter 2, you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. I don't know if you've ever realized this, but sometimes baptismal fonts are designed to look like tombs. It's a recognition that part of me is dying. Part of me is being given up and transformed so that I may live life in a new way and for a new purpose. So remember from last episode, every sacrament uh, has a three-part kind of definition. It is a visible sign instituted by Christ and given to the church, and then to give grace. A visible sign instituted by Christ to give grace. And so what are the visible signs of baptism? Well, first of all is water. Water is purifying. It is cleansing. We need it to live. We need it to survive. But it can also be scary and dangerous, like floods and tsunamis and all of these different things. Another symbol is oil. Oil is a symbol for anointing. In fact, the name Christ and the name Messiah, a Greek word and a Hebrew word, both mean the anointed one. One who has a special role to play, uh, a mission to fulfill by God. Another visible sign is a candle. Uh, that represents the light of Christ alive in our hearts. And lastly, the white garment that we receive at our baptism or that we wear. This literally means that we are baptized. We put on Christ. It represents our purity because all of our sins, mortal and venial, are all forgiven, along with the stain of original sin. Now, our concupiscence, our tendency towards sin, is not removed. We still have the temptation to sin. But all of the sins that we have so far committed in life, um, and those, that, the, those stains of original sin that we carry, are all forgiven. And so those visible signs speak to an invisible reality, as we said in our last episode. So those are the visible signs. Secondly, this was instituted by Christ. Well, where do we see that? Well, Jesus himself was baptized. We see this in Matthew chapter 3. Here's the story. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you are coming to me? Jesus said to him in reply, Allow it now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. After Jesus was baptized, he came up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is what happens for us as well. Jesus was baptized, not because he needed to be, but because he wanted to serve as a model for us on how to live. The waters of baptism didn't purify Jesus. He purified the waters. That would then purify us. St. Gregory Nazianzus puts it this way, He comes to sanctify the Jordan for our sake, to begin a new creation through the Spirit and water. 
And that is the new creation we become. The words that God speaks to Jesus are the same words that he speaks to us on the day of our baptism. You are my beloved child with whom I'm well pleased. And then lastly, a sacrament is a means to give us grace. New life in Christ. Remember, baptism is a sacrament. That's a covenant, an exchange of persons. And so we give our lives to Christ very similarly to the way that a bride and a groom give themselves to one another when they are married, because Christ already gave himself to us. And his very life in us, and the new life we receive through our baptism, that is the grace of God at work in us. So what happens at a normal baptism? Well, we begin usually with the sign of the cross. And that is a reminder of that death and rising and salvation, uh, that symbol of all of that is how we begin. There are normally some readings from scripture. In fact, baptism used to be referred to as illumination. Uh, and that is when the light of Christ uh, comes to us in our baptism, but also this kind of illumination of our mind to help us know and understand the message of salvation from God more easily that we hear in sacred scripture. Next, there is an exorcism and anointing. Yes, you heard that right. At every baptism, there is an exorcism. And so this isn't just something in movies that we want to make sure that no matter what is in a person, that they are completely removed from any stain of evil, sin, anything like that in that moment of their baptism. So prayers of exorcism are prayed over the candidate. Um, we are forgiven. We're liberated and preserved from all sin and evil. Then there's a blessing of the water that is to be used for baptism. And then we have a renunciation of sin and a profession of faith. Now, if you're old enough to profess the faith on your own, then you do that. But if you're not, then your parents, godparents do that on your behalf. And we, they all commit, everyone gathered, to reject sin and continue to profess and live out belief in the creed, the belief in the Trinity and what is expected of us as Catholics. And then we have what is called the essential rite of the sacrament. This is what actually constitutes a valid baptism. A pouring or immersion of water three times saying, name, so Matthew, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Each one of those one pour of water equaling three pours. Um, then after that, there is an anointing with the sacred chrism oil. Sometimes if you're getting confirmed at the same time, if you're in RCIA or in some areas of the world where you get baptized and confirmed at the same time, even as babies, this will happen as part of your confirmation. Um, but there's always this anointing with oil. And then there is the reception of the white garment and the baptismal candle. This shows, again, our new identity in Christ, that his grace is alive in us, his light is within us, but also that we're meant now to be lights to the world. That is what happens at a normal baptism. And the church believes that everyone needs baptism in order to be saved. It says this in Mark chapter 16. Jesus says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And he says elsewhere in John, Amen, amen, I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. And that is baptism. Those are pretty intense and direct words from Jesus, and we take him at his word. This is why in the early church, baptism of infants began to be a common practice, because whole families wanted to commit their lives to Christ and be free of sin. And we don't want to wait, you know, years and years uh, in case something happens to a child for them to attain that gift of salvation. And they will continue have to have to as they come into adulthood and or even just reason and knowing the difference between right and wrong, they'll have to continue to live that baptism out. 
Um, it says in the Catechism, paragraph 1277, baptism is birth into the new life in Christ. In accordance with the Lord's will, it is necessary for salvation, as is the church herself, which we enter by baptism. So for this reason, the church wants everyone in the world to be baptized and tries to provide the means for that to happen no matter the circumstances. And what's really cool is actually any person can baptize anybody else. Even a non-Catholic can baptize someone in the case of necessity or emergency. Uh, it says this in the Catechism, paragraph 1256, the ordinary ministers of baptism are the bishop and priest, and in the Latin church, also the deacon. In case of necessity, any person, even someone not baptized, can baptize if he has the required intention. The intention required is to do, is to will to do what the church does when she baptizes and to apply the Trinitarian baptismal formula. The church finds the reason for this possibility in the universal saving will of God and the necessity of baptism for salvation. Isn't that beautiful? God wants all of us to be free from sin and death. And it says in the next paragraph of the Catechism that God has bound salvation to the sacrament of baptism, but he himself is not bound by the sacraments. And so actually, as Catholics, we have three different versions of baptism. We have the normal form of baptism by water, which we want everyone to receive. However, what if they can't? There's also a category called baptism by blood. And these are those people who suffer and die for their faith in Christ before they could be baptized, which is a reality that still happens to this day in parts of the world. And lastly, there's something called baptism by desire. This is for those who desire, or sorry, who die before baptism, uh, either one that they were pre preparing for or that they have professed faith in Christ but were not able to be baptized. So think of the good thief on the cross, St. Dismas. Um, it says in Luke chapter 23, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's professing faith in Christ, but he's not been baptized. He's a thief. Jesus says to him, Amen, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now this even extends to those around the world who've never even heard the gospel, who've never even heard the name Jesus. They have an opportunity here to be saved. It says in the Catechism once again, paragraph 1260, Every man who is ignorant of the gospel of Christ and of his church, but seeks the truth and does the will of God in accordance with his understanding of it, can be saved. It may be supposed that such persons would have desired baptism explicitly if they had known its necessity. How beautiful. Our church wants everyone to be saved. So here are five things that happen when you are baptized. Uh, first, your sins are forgiven. All sins are forgiven. You still will have the tendency towards sin, but you are completely forgiven all mortal and venial sins in that moment. Secondly, you become an adopted child of God. He does this through what's called his sanctifying grace. He sanctifies us. He makes us holy. He makes us his. And then he continues to assist us with actual graces, which are the ways he intervenes through different acts and prayers and devotions throughout our life. But we become his children. Thirdly, we are initiated into the church. We are given those offices, our priestly office, our prophetic office, and our royal office of Christ. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may announce the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That begins at baptism. Fourthly, we are bonded to other Christians. Baptism is our common bond to other Christians. We recognize all Trinitarian baptisms as valid. Uh, they don't need to be baptized Catholic. 
So it's not the sense of like you're either Catholic or you're going to hell. That's not what we believe. And we're actually one of the few religions that believes that, that you can have an opportunity to be saved and not necessarily be part of the Catholic Church. Catholicism is the Church of Jesus Christ, the one he established. And we believe that we harness the fullness of the truth that he revealed. No one else can claim that. But other faiths do share some similarity. And so if a valid baptism uh, practice is one of those things that they have, they are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and they have been given that gift of salvation. And lastly, we are infused with a baptismal character. You cannot be unbaptized. We believe in what's called an indelible mark. An unremovable mark is placed on your soul. So whether you practice your faith or not, your soul will always say Catholic. And when we die, we will be judged in accordance to our observance of all Jesus revealed and commanded through the Catholic Church he himself established because we've been baptized in it. Our baptism is a call to holiness, that we're called to be set apart, not living for this world, but for the next, a new life that we are dying to the things of this world to live in Christ. This is a lifelong responsibility. So if you've been baptized, I ask you, if you were accused of being a Catholic in a court of law, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Are you living this out? And if you've not been baptized, I ask you, are you ready? Are you ready to let some things die so that you can be free and rise anew? This is not a simple rite of, of passage or a feel-good ritual. This is life-changing, life-altering, 180-degree turn of transformation and a completely different way of living. It is hard, but it is true. It is good, and it is beautiful. And so if you want to re recommit to those values, or see if those are values that you want to commit to, the values of your baptism, the beliefs of your baptism, I ask you now to repeat to these questions, I do. Do you reject Satan? I do. And all his works? I do. And all his empty promises? I do. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? I do. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was born of the Virgin Mary, was crucified, died, and was buried, rose from the dead, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father? I do. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting? I do. God, the all-powerful Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, has given us a new birth by water and the Holy Spirit and forgiven all of our sins. So may he also keep us faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. And remember, with great power comes great responsibility.